Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the Thursday show. Coming up on this episode, Chelsea Servette up a magnificent seven. We dip into the mailbag and quiz our experts. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. Now providing more wisdom than Mason Mount's mouth. This is straight out of Cobham. No international breaks in Podland, listeners. So we are back with you. I'm joined today by The Athletic's Chelsea correspondent, Liam Toomey. Hi, Liam. Hello. Hello. Uh, also with us, the inimitable Sam Parkin. Morning, Sam. Good morning, Matt. Right, on Monday's show, we suggested Chelsea might be able to rack up their goals for column in the Champions League this week. They did just that. Roy Pulse. Spence. Kerr again is on the move. Kirby to a left. And right turn. Lovely Chelsea goal. Oh, what a performance this is. The passing so crisp, so precise, and the finishing has been out of this world. It's a fifth different scorer for Chelsea. It's a seventh goal for the English champions. It was a great performance. First half from the team, I thought the the drive, the determination, the energy, the movement, the precision of our passing, all of those things I think contributed to an, a very, very good first half performance. Dwarves, magnificent. Something about the video printer. All go-tos when referencing a game in which one team scored seven times. Take your pick, listener, as we get giddy over the Chelsea women's team's demolition of Swiss side Servette on Tuesday. Uh, Liam, did you have a, a favourite goal of the bunch? Well, first of all, I can't see the, the name Servette without thinking of Serviette. And, uh, and their, yeah, def- so. their defending was was as accommodating as a serviette, you might say. <laughs> but they weren't tucked in. That's true. That's true. They certainly weren't. Um, my favourite goal was actually the first goal. Uh, Melanie Leopold's left-footed. Was it half volley, half volley? I'm not sure. But um, the run into the channel, into the box, the lovely little flick from her right foot to her left. And just the fact that she had the confidence and the technique to do that on her left foot. Um yeah, I very much like that. But it felt like, it. well, I mean, I only watched the highlights, didn't watch the whole game, but it felt like every couple of minutes Chelsea were playing a defence-splitting pass in behind and getting another opportunity. There were a couple of other nice team goals, but individually, I think Leopold's one was the pick of the bunch. Sam, I like the um, the third one, the, the back-to-front, 20 seconds, 12 touches from one end of the pitch to the other, Kerr finishing it off. But I think that would have been a great goal if it had been against a better team. Is that harsh? Is it it, sort of difficult to judge the quality of the goals, performance and result, given what they're up against? Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, Yeah, Liam stole my thunder a little bit. I'd probably go for the first one, but I thought there's some brilliant team goals. And I think the unselfishness of Kerr and, and Kirby 
not just this season, but, you know, when they've been playing in tandem, obviously harder normally alongside them as well. But if there's an extra pass to be played, even in the WSL, even a goal scorer of the calibre of Sam Kerr, she looks to put it on a plate for a teammate. So I think that's a really good asset to, to have. So for that reason, well, I'm going to go for Kirby's 5-0 just because something poetic about seeing a centre-forward sit the goalkeeper down. Lovely panache. Um, I wouldn't say taking the mickey, but uh, at that stage, there was probably a little bit of that because it was very easy in the first half. But yeah, I love that goal. And yeah, I love the first strike. That was a pure strike from Leopold, who's a who's an excellent player. That was the kind of, um, that Kirby finish was the kind of goal that like a a 14 year old scores on FIFA yeah. online to make you quit in a fit of rage. <laughs> Just pure provocation. That speaks the voice of experience, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sadly so. Um, I've never been on the other end of that. <laughs> uh, well, it was a good night, made great by Wolfsburg and Juventus drawing 2 2 in Turin. It means Chelsea now top of Group A. They're two points clear of Wolfsburg ahead of their next game in the competition. That is against Savet again at home Thursday of next week for that one. Uh, the Blues go to Manchester City in the WSL this weekend. If you missed our Monday pod, you can hear a preview of that game with Flo Lloyd-Hughes by going back into our ever-expanding archive. And we will, of course, reflect on it in Monday's pod. Next today, though, we answer your questions. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Listeners, we've got a very small favor to ask. We want to make sure we're making the very best football podcasts out there, so we need to know what you like and what we can do better. We've prepared a survey over at theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk and if you complete it, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of three £100 Amazon shopping vouchers. Now, we're only after the feedback from UK listeners at this stage and you can only win those Amazon shopping vouchers if you live in England, Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland. So if that applies to you, then please head on over to theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk That's theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk Thanks. Many thanks to everyone who sent in a question for today's show. Remember, you can do so at your leisure by tweeting me at Matt Davis Adams. Uh, before we get to the ones that caught my eye, just an update on something that we mentioned on Monday. We were talking about Callum Hudson-Odoi and whether he was able to switch allegiance to Ghana. Uh, Dom's helped clear that up after Jim Boyd got in touch with us. Dom says uh, he basically can switch by the looks of things. He's played three games for England in competitive internationals. But because none of them were in a final and all happened before he turned 21, he would be able to switch to Ghana, provided he doesn't play for England 
again in the interim. Um, Liam, that, that kind of puts a different slant on what we were talking about on Monday's pod about him turning down the under-21s to, to concentrate on his Chelsea career. It might be something slightly different. Yeah, you can understand why he'd want to keep his options open. I mean, he has been in the England picture. He's clearly someone that Gareth Southgate likes, but Southgate has so many options in those positions, at least as many as Thomas Tuchel does. So it's it's hard to see at the moment, unless Hudson-Odoi can really force his way into what Tuchel would consider his strongest eleven. It's hard to see him jumping in front of... Um, you know, the likes of Jack Grealish and, well, Bakaya Saka is another Southgate favourite, along with Raheem Sterling and Jaden Sancho if he if he hits form again. I mean, there's just so many options for those sort of wide positions. Um, and Hudson-Odoi, there's no doubt, I think he spent most of the summer in Ghana, didn't he? He spent quite a long time there, I think, connecting with family and doing some charity stuff. I mean, he any, any English-based player that declares for, you know, their family's country of origin, it, be it Ghana or Nigeria or Ivory Coast, um, we saw it with Wilfred Zaha as well, they're heroes immediately in that country, um, just because it's so so rare for for players to, to make that decision, especially if they're talented enough that they might have the opportunity to play for the country they grew up in. Um, it's a personal choice. It all depends on you know what resonates for Hudson-Odoi, but it, it would be quite cool, I think, to see him play for Ghana. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to follow. You, you see Wilfred Zaha kind of falling out of favour with, with Ivory Coast acting, asking not to be selected and maybe looking at retiring from international football. But then on the other hand, you've got the likes of Olerena who will tell you that switching to Nigeria, having played for England at age group level, one of the best choices he ever made. So we'll keep an eye on that. But we'll dip into the mailbag now. Uh, here's a question from Owen who asks, best performer so far this season? Hard to look past Rhys James for Owen. Although Mendy in with a strong shout. Uh, Sam, you were bigging up Reese James on Monday. Would he be your player of the season so far? Oh, probably just. The only other one I'd put in, I know he's not played every week, but Chalabur would probably get a mention, I would say, along with the Story of the season, Chalabur, you'd think. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, and hardly put a foot wrong when he's played. So, yeah, the level of his performance has been outstanding when he's been in the team. But yeah, off the, off the back of that, remarkable performance at the weekend. I'd probably go for Reese James. Um, and he's had the red card, hasn't he? Missed, missed a few games as well. Um, but yeah, his performances have been amazing. That goal at Arsenal springs to mind right up there in terms of the best finishes uh, we've seen so far this campaign and just getting better and better. And uh, go back to what I said uh, on the last pod on, on Monday. Yeah, in terms of where is he um, in comparison to Alexander-Arnold, uh, I'd put him in front of him right now. I think, you know, I'd love to see him get double figures, assists and maybe half a dozen goals. But in my mind, defensively, what he brings to the table, remarkable, remarkable player. And um, he could become he could become an absolute legend at the club if he, um, if he continues to progress. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? That we're talking about the Premier League leaders and yet there aren't actually yeah. that many players in this squad that you would look at and think they've been brilliant every week mm. or even most well, weeks. You, you could make a case for Chilwell, couldn't you? But he hasn't played in, yeah. in the first few games of the season. You can make a case for Thiago Silva whenever he plays. It's got to be a good thing though, hasn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. But I think Chilwell and James are in a similar boat, aren't they? Where they've been very impressive when they've played, but they've been heavily rotated as well. It just speaks to the the strength of the squad. The, the player I would have said um, to give a shout to was Andreas Christensen. 
I think he's had a really strong start to the season, whether he's been playing in the middle of that back three or when Thiago Silva's been in and he's been playing on the right. He just seems to now shift seamlessly and read the game so well in that position. And we know he's got a contract situation right now. It's hard to imagine him being in a stronger negotiating position with the way he's playing. Uh, Cheese Monster, which I'm not sure is their real name, and Clarkey uh, both ask about somebody who could probably be described as Crystal Palace's player of the season, or, or one of certainly, in Conor Gallagher. Liam, where would he fit into this Chelsea team next season were, were he to be a part of it? There are many different ways you could fit Conor Gallagher in. He's got such a well-rounded skill set. I think he's capable of playing as one of the number sixes. Um, if Tuchel switches to kind of like a 3-5-2, he could be one of the box-to-box eights. He could even play as a 10. Um, he's, he's done that pretty pretty well in his career as well. I think the important thing is, though, is if Conor Gallagher keeps playing this well and keeps making this kind of progress and really kicks on and has a great season for Crystal Palace, Tuchel might feel, feel compelled to fit him in somewhere, regardless of how stacked um, Chelsea are in midfield. I think it's probably the most stacked area of a very deep squad. Gallagher's playing well enough right now that he can really put himself in in position to 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 give Tuchel a big decision to make next summer. And Sam, providing that Gallagher maintains his, his current form, I guess what Tuchel can do is point to the likes of Loftus-Cheek and Barkley and say, look, there are minutes here for you. People didn't think that those two were going to play at all and yet they seem to be featuring every match at the moment. So, all right, you're not going to come in and be an automatic starter, but there will be football for you to be played at Chelsea. Yeah, and... No. These guys will kind of, they'll want assurances, but you're not going to get that, I suppose. Um, yeah, he's a bit different to, to what they've got, I would say. Um, you know, yeah, unbelievably talented midfield players. You've got the four at the moment um, with Loftus-Cheek as well. But I think he's probably more aggressive than the majority of those. He, he'd fit lovely with a Jorginho, I would say. Uh, as a six, you know, being able to break up play, but also get forward and give a bit more of a goal threat, which you don't get from from Kante really, and 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 Kovacic, of course, doesn't doesn't supply that. But yeah, completely agree with Liam in that three five two. He could play the kind of hybrid Mason Mount one in that, and um, we've seen throughout his development at Chelsea sometimes playing that box midfield where he was deployed as a number ten. So yeah, I mean he's he's in brilliant form right now, and I'd be lying to say that I predicted this. I had a conversation with someone at Charlton prior to him joining there and said that I wasn't sure. And I actually, at the time, we'd, we'd watched him in tandem with Luke McCormick, hadn't we, for, for years, Matt. And there wasn't a great deal of difference between the two. Um, I think Connor probably had more international recognition, more international experience at that stage. But what he did subsequently at Charlton, Swansea, really surprised me. And I suppose that sometimes the under 23s is such a poor gauge of what they're going to become when they're handed that opportunity. So I think he's an outstanding young player. I think definitely he comes into the squad next year, whether that will be with a Billy Gilmore, for example, we'll have to wait and see, but again, very different player to Billy Gilmore, very different to what Chelsea have in that squad right now. Uh, well, while we're talking academy midfielders, Daniel wants to know, officially on the first team books, but playing for the under-23s, how is Lewis Baker doing? Sam, you've got the scoop for us on this. Yeah, I think it's it's just a case of him not getting a loan move, unfortunately. I'm not sure exactly why that, that happened, but from what I've seen and what I've heard, his 
attitude and his performances have been outstanding. Probably the best um, performer in the under-23s, which is no surprise, but must be an incredibly difficult position for him to be in. And he's still got the aspirations of getting back to being a Premier League player, which at 26, some people would probably look at and think, this guy's got his head in the sand a little bit. But, you know, I admire that, I think. And and hopefully, the way that he's knuckled down and performed, he had a difficult game the other day that said he was up against Eze. I think he's been playing a bit of a box-to-box role. Um, so he probably had to, he did score, but probably had to spend a, a large portion of that game going back the other way towards his own goal, considering um, they lost that game. But no, the performances have been great. Attitude spot on and the real desire to get back to a top level. So I don't think it's going to be at Chelsea. It's probably my long answer to to what that uh, question was alluding to, but but definitely still a player that has got something to bring at, at a high level, I would suggest. Yeah, he's looked a bit like one of these player coaches that you see these days with under-23 teams at times this season. Uh, speaking of midfielders, Liam, Prasanna asks, how true are reports suggesting that Saul's loan will be cut short in January? And is there any chance that Billy Gilmore returns? I guess the second part of that is utterly dependent on who replaces Daniel Farker, isn't it? But but what's the latest on Saul? Well, I'm still on paternity leave, so I'm not doing much reporting <laughs> on either front. But um, I think you're right when you say on Gilmore, there's a big shoe to drop there in terms of who comes in and, and how they regard him. I mean, if Frank Lampard gets that job, I think it's it's pretty much ideal for Billy Gilmore's development because we know how much Lampard loves Gilmore and I think he would probably remould that midfield around Gilmore's qualities. Um, Saul, haven't heard anything directly, not that I'm asking at the moment, um, about January. I would be surprised if he was sent back to Spain. I can't imagine that Atletico would be pushing for that because they were actively trying to offload him all summer. His wages, as much as anything, um, in order to do some of the other things they wanted to do in their in their market, um, and so I don't think they're desperate to see him come back. They they certainly have no use for him in the first team, and I I doubt that that Chelsea would just cut bait on him. I mean, he he does have very high quality pedigree. He's played in massive Champions League knockout games and been involved in La Liga title races. You know, he he's a guy. Who, who should be at least mentally prepared for big moments. And I think Tuchel can use a player like that. He, he just needs to get adapted to the Premier League and, and Chelsea's system. And that might take a little bit of time. But Chelsea have the luxury of time with Saul because they've got so many other midfielders. So I, I, I would think that they'll just keep him around. Uh, here's Simon. I don't think it's our Simon. asking, what's our favourite Chelsea goal of the season so far? He also wants to know if any of us have had our wisdom teeth taken out. Well, I haven't. Uh, Sam, I'm going to pick first because I think this is the obvious one. I'm going to go for Trevor Chaloba against Crystal Palace. It's on my short list. I would probably plump for Rhys James against Norwich for the pass and the dink. Tremendous. All right. Yeah, like a dink. Uh, Liam, any advance on those two? I just realised I've forgotten every Chelsea goal this season. Reese James against that. Arsenal was another one that, that sprang yeah, to mind. Yeah, that was an me. excellent one. I was going to say the, the, the Chalaba one on the opening day was probably the best moment of the season so far in terms of just everything that goal kind of meant to him and the reaction of the crowd. Um, Lukaku's two against Villa. You could make a case probably mm-hmm. for both of them. Yeah, lovely pass from Kovacic for the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Lots of them, basically. 
Mount against Norwich. There were a couple of goals, yeah, against Norwich. I really liked um, Ben Chilwell's goal against Norwich. Nice little team move, really true strike into the bottom corner. Chelsea have played some good football at times. They haven't always been free scoring, um, but there are there have been a few goals to pick from, even if I can't remember any of them. <laughs> I think that's just sleep deprivation. Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Well, and the fact there've been so very many of them. Uh, Andrew and Nick both had questions about the new slash current stadium. Andrew says, "What's your prediction for how the stadium issue will get solved in the next decade?" It's an interesting one, isn't it, Liam? Signs at the moment pointing more to to building up on Stamford Bridge rather than trying to find a new site, which has has proved all but impossible over the last few years. Well, Chelsea decided on that um, if uh, almost ten years ago now, pretty much once once the they failed to get the votes to uh, buy back the freehold from the CPO. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, do look it up because it's an important story in Chelsea's recent history. Um, you know, Abramovich and the and the architects and the, the project managers that he'd hired um did refocus their efforts on redeveloping Stanford Bridge rather than trying to get Battersea Power Station or one of these other alternative sites. But it's all been on hold for, for a long time now. And um there are no signs at this point that it will be resumed anytime soon. Um I think it, it hasn't actually worked out that badly for Chelsea because they're probably in a better position now than they would have been had they been in the midst of a massively costly stadium rebuild when COVID hit. Uh, you know, I think Tottenham were tremendously unlucky, not that they'll get any sympathy from Chelsea fans, um, with opening their new stadium so soon to such a crazy event that that, that basically closed football matches to the public. But it's worked out okay for Chelsea, but in the long term, it's going to hold them back financially. And I think the... The likeliest scenario for the foreseeable future is that they're going to stay with Stamford Bridge, which is a good stadium, a historic stadium, one that you know most traditional fans have a lot, a lot of connections with. But it's not going to be, um, for better or worse, comparable with some of the, the new super stadiums that many of Chelsea's rivals have. Uh, here's one from Aaron, Sam. Uh, what's your thoughts on what's next for Lampard and Terry? Uh, obviously, by the time this podcast goes up, one of them will probably have been given the Norwich job. Uh, we know Steven Gerrard's gone to Villa. So do you think these two are both competing for the Norwich job? Is, is John Terry even interested in being a manager? You've speculated maybe he rather likes the number two role in the past. Yeah, no, nothing's really changed in my opinion on, on that. I think John wanted to step away from the full-time um, work this year in terms of being a number two. He's doing a lot of travelling. Um, I think he's still learning. He, he spends some t- a lot of time in Portugal. I think he's got a house build going on. It wouldn't surprise me, but I think at the moment, you know, he's waiting for the right opportunity. I think he'd absolutely love to be involved at Chelsea one day. I think that, that that's a, a, a definite thing in the future. Right now, I'm clearer on Frank Lampard. I think he like he'd like to get back in. I'm sure Liam would probably know more than me, but the, the Rangers' job is going to be is going to be open. But I just think that would Frank Lampard look at that as a stepping stone, as he did, and he's already kind of been there and done that without being disrespectful to a brilliant club in Rangers. You know, I played at Ibrox. It's it's amazing, and Gerard took that route. But I think having had the experience, Lampard probably feels that the next job would be a Premier League one. 
and whether he'd want to go in at Norwich now and probably get relegated, I'm not so sure. He's had a conversation with them, hasn't he? So it'd probably be about the assurances for what kind of squad he'd be able to put together for a championship title battle and then and then further on what kind of um, money would be available to have a real go at the Premier League, I suppose. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I'd be surprised if John Terry's in a job before Frank Lampard, let me put it like that. And Liam, Norwich feels like a good fit to Lampard for me because he can, if they get relegated, he can legitimately say, well, it's not my fault. They were virtually down by the time I got here. But he's got experience of the championship and he would have owners who, you know, generally back their managers and give them time to um, to see what they can achieve. So maybe that'd be a good way back in for him or is there another job you think he'd be better suited to? Well, I think the key thing, if you're Lampard, is, uh, is that you have to be sure what, what the Norwich owners are expecting if you're going to go in there. Because if they've if they've sacked Daniel Farker thinking that this season can still be saved, then that is a very dangerous job to take because you could just be getting as as Sam says, you could just be sort of plunging yourself into an almost certain relegation and then be sacked at the end of the season um and, and have done done your managerial stock no no good at all and not really had a chance to build anything. So if he was going to go into Norwich, it would have to be with a view to, look, we're probably going to go down. If we go down, I'm going to need, you know, opportunities to to build this team up again and or, or at least keep the best players and try and add around the core and, and make a push next year. It seems like a, as good an opportunity as any. Um, it doesn't, for one reason or another, it doesn't seem like Aston Villa are looking at him. That would be the next bracket up of club um you know for Lampard maybe maybe he he's he, you know in this time that he's had off he's realized that clubs of that size are not looking at him i don't necessarily know why but may, maybe they're not um and so then you then you go down the, the next level don't you and i think that probably the bare minimum i can't imagine he would take a smaller job than derby because you know that he that that was his first step i think he sees himself as past that now so at the bare minimum you would you would want a very aspirational, well-resourced championship club with with a realistic possibility of getting to the Premier League, which Norwich could well be next season. Right, so Mac asks, who's the player who you'd hope would make history at Chelsea but never did? For me, it's Andre Schürrle, says Sir Mac. What do you think, Liam? Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, the... You the... said with sorrow in his voice, yeah, quite... The the playmaking midfielder of his generation, um, yeah, I think uh, I think he's probably the most galling one if you ask a lot of Chelsea fans. Maybe some would say Salah, but while while Salah's maybe had a more explosive peak in terms of scoring, uh, I don't know. There, there's there was even more of a sense of of so much left on the table with De Bruyne's time at Chelsea, and and it ended so much more needlessly. So I think. Um, I think he's probably the most galling one. I would have also said Juan Mata because I think he could have been an absolute Chelsea legend if he'd stayed. But he did have two brilliant seasons, which De Bruyne never got to have. Yeah, I was going to go Mata as well. And then I remembered he won Player of the Year in both of his seasons. And that felt a bit um, a bit short-sighted. Yeah, Sally, you kind of think, Sam, that, that he's got the perfect manager in Jurgen Klopp, whereas, as Liam says, anybody could get a tune out of Kevin De Bruyne, brackets except Jose Mourinho. Uh, was there anybody else who, who sprang to mind for you? There is. I mean, Liam's are the right answer, aren't they? But um, I'm going to go a little bit more retro. Brian Laudrup. 
Ooh, How's nice. that for you? Yeah. Seven games, I think he had. And I only remember one of them away at Blackburn. Blackburn, yeah, a yellow 3-2 yeah. win. Yeah, down the right-hand side, I think he made one for Tour Andre Flo. And I'm fairly sure I was kind of opening the skip the next morning and cleaning the boots. Um, <laughs> so that one sticks in the mind. But I loved him, absolutely loved him. You know, during that period of all the, the players that came in, I think we, as an, being an apprentice at the time, we were so excited when Laudrup came, so excited. And um, it just didn't happen. Did it? It was bizarre, really, because you'd have felt he'd have been such a star in the Premier League. So, yeah, I always think back. It, it's almost as if it didn't happen. You know, it's one of those you, you kind of recall it, but did it really happen? Honourable mention for Kaziragi, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cut cut down in his prime. I I was just going to say on Loudrup, I I tried to get a proper answer from Colin Hutchinson about that when I interviewed him a while back, and he got very coy and didn't really give me a, give give me anything. Um, still don't quite under there, there was reporting at the time wasn't there like Viali's rotation policy almost as if he'd been brought to the club under false pretenses and thought he was mm. going to be playing every single week but I like Sam I, I mean I remember watching Denmark in that 98 World Cup and after that point I was so excited to see Laudrup in the Premier League let alone at Chelsea uh, yeah that was a big disappointment uh, this won't be a big disappointment. This is the reason why Sam's turned up to work with a smile on his face and a song in his heart this morning. Jonathan, uh, create your best Chelsea five-a-side team using only players who never played together at the same time. Brackets on the pitch, not necessarily squad close brackets. Uh, Sam, you've been fired up about this for well over 24 hours now, so give us your team. Do you know what? I've got two now. I've made two. I've made another <laughs> one this morning, but... If I go through every player like uh, I want to, we'll, we'll be here till evening. So, right, my team is Mendy, obviously from the current team. Um, and then I've got Rude Hullet playing um, at the back. I'm not going to bother with a defender. Um, with Glenn Hoddle, Ray Wilkins, and I'm going to go for Edin Hazard um, as just a free role, basically, taking everyone on, getting off Mendy and, and scoring at will. Um, loved Rude obviously he wasn't that approachable I was a little bit intimidated by him to be honest when I was at the club at the same time but I mean Ray Wilkins hero of mine Glenn Hoddle likewise got to know Ray a little bit during his time at, at Chelsea which was just a thrill because he was a, a genius as a player and as a as a bloke and Edin is probably is he probably the, he's probably the best attacker that I've watched consistently I would say the bigger mission is is JT but you just can't get J. He he's the defender I'd have if I was having an out and out defender has to be. But you can't get him in because of the the caliber of player that he's played with in terms of the attacking sense. You, you need to get a Hazard or a or a Jogba, even a Kante into the team if you can. Tell us about Rudolph's boots, please, before we move on to Liam's, Liam's team. <laughs> well, it was a Sunday morning. He was the manager. I would have been fourteen. I would say. And memory's a bit hazy, but it must have been a wet day. So Bob Osborne, who at the time was kit man, possibly still a scout. He's been a coach, huge supporter of mine, huge champion of mine, big influence on Jody's career, John Terry's career as well. Kind of had his his guys, you know. And um, Bob said, you can't wear those boots. I presume I had a rubber sole on my um on my boot he went and fetched me a pair from the the boot room I went out and played for the under 15s I think it was at Harlington the old training ground came back to the the building after the game and we had our little 
uh, area where we used to clean the boots just outside the the main entrance at Harlington. Started cleaning the boots, which were a green, a blazoned pair of, a black with the green Lotto logo on them. Unknown to me, I've got the the manager's boots on, on a Sunday morning. (laughs) The manager is stood at the entrance, staring at this 14-year-old with blonde curtains. He's probably just bagged the brace, cleaning (laughs) off the mud and uh, wanders off muttering, um, swearing. Um, probably in Dutch at me, and I'm aghast. Obviously, that's the end of my career. That's that's it at Chelsea. Um, probably the end of Bob's career as well. Um, so that was it. Devastated. The week later, or whatever it must have been, Bob turned up at my house to take me to training. Brand new pair of Rudhulitz boots. Um, apologetic for obviously um, being not best pleased. In no uncertain terms on the Sunday, probably aware that he'd upset this this young lad and uh, gave me a brand new pair of lottos. Size 10 and a half, I think they were. There you go. Still got them? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> there was a pair of Robbie Di Matteo's Val Sports doing the rounds, I think, amongst my mates for a number of years as well, um, which was a, a perk of the job at the time. <laughs> um, you could wear lottos for five aside, probably. Uh, that's, that's my segue into your team, Liam. Yeah, so I look when building my team, you can't really have guys like Terry Lampard as Pilaqueta. They were at the club too long. They had too many teammates. They rule out too many players. So as much as I'd love to, um, you just can't. Although then I broke my rule uh, with my my first pick as a goalkeeper, which was Carlo Cudicini. Um and the reason why I went for him is because you've got to think about the nature of five-a-side. What are five-a-side goals? They're low and long. You don't want one of these giants. You know, Mendy coming for crosses on a five-a-side pitch. Um, Kudashini's a bit smaller, a bit more agile, getting down to the bottom corners. I think that's what you need. But I've, I've forgotten how long he hung around at Chelsea as a player. Is it 2000 to 2009, basically playing one to two games a year, ruling out so many other players for me. Um <laughs> But I managed to work around it. So like Sam, I've gone for Rude Hullet um, as kind of like the controller at the back. There isn't really going to be a lot of defending in my team. So that's why Kudashini needs to be agile. He's, got, he's going to be busy. Um, but Hullet at the back sort of seeing the whole game. Um, and then in midfield, I'm, uh, this is part of my team I'm most pleased with. Juan Mata, um, 2011 to 2014, and Cesc Fabregas. Of course, no overlap, no overlap between those two. They One left, one came in within six months. Um, hopefully, the only way my team avoids defending is we're just not going to give the ball away very much. Um, but I, I, I love the creativity of those two. And then up front, obviously, because uh, you need a bit of composure, sort of bottom, bottom corner finishing, Kai Havertz uh, from, <laughs> from the current team. So Yeah, obviously, got, for lots uh, of reasons. Obviously, we've got we've got a bit of everything here. It's I, I thought it was a, it was a good way to to pick a good five side team while staying firmly on brand. Yeah, yeah, Havertz had to be in there, didn't he? Um, right, mine briefly. Mendy in goal. Yeah, I, I can only pick from a few keepers, and and that that rule that Liam spoke. Some people just just rule themselves out because of longevity. I've gone for Ron Harris. Not that I ever saw him play, but when you hear the rest of my team, you'll understand we need at least one person who likes to tackle. I've also got Zola. 
Uh, Ray Wilkins and Edin Hazard. So um, Chopper will definitely be needed there because I don't think there's going to be anybody else putting a tackle in particularly. That that was the thing with my team. I limited myself more by saying I had to pick players that uh, I, I'd watched. Um, and Hullet was kind of pushing the boundaries. I do remember him, but I was pretty young at the time. My my plan B was to have Reese James in defence and Crespo up front. Um but Cudicini screwed that up. So it, it is a difficult format. <laughs> the law of Cudicini, we'll call it from this point on. Um, thank you for that, Jonathan. That was great. Great questions from everybody as well. We'll do one of those again soon. Uh, okay, we're just a short quiz away from being done today. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Here we go then, three questions each. Random Chelsea topics today, I'm afraid. Uh, Every question was answered correctly. I don't know if you were listening, Liam, last week. Not necessarily by the person who they were set to, but a lot of pressure here because we did get six out of six by hook or by crook. Uh, Liam, your first question. Who scored Chelsea's first Premier League goal of the season? Given you couldn't remember any of the goals earlier, this is going to be tricky. That was, yeah, Chris... Are we talk, are we including the Super Cup? Nope. He's still in there. Scored Chelsea's first Premier League goal of the season. Well, is the, the question? That was the first game of the season. Um, yeah, but the question says Premier League goal of the season. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Palace. Yeah, I d- I don't remember that game. Um, <laughs> was it? Um. Parking, getting ready for the steal. Marcus Alonso. It was Marcus Alonso. Very good. Took a while to get there, but got there in the end. Uh, Sam, here's your first question. They're all kind of related. Well, they are all related to the season that we are currently playing, I should say. Uh, Sam, who scored the first Premier League goal against Chelsea this season? Oh, blimey. Uh, That would be... 
Mo Salah. Is correct. Open brackets, P, close brackets, 1-1. One, one. Uh, good start, good former in at the moment, generally. Liam, let's see if you can maintain it with question number two. How many goals... Oh, you aren't going to get this one, unfortunately. How many goals did Chelsea score in the six games they played in October? <laughs> I don't even... Question two is the toughest question for both competitors. You realise October was the second month of my baby's life. Mm, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I don't even remember. All the games blur into one. Um, <laughs> Six how games, many how many goals? I don't think they had any super high scoring games. Might be wrong. Um, I'm going to say nine goals. No, that's not correct. Sam, can you steal? Well, they definitely got seven against Norwich. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought that Malmo. was November. Uh, what did Liam say? Nine? Yeah. I'll go 18. Higher than nine. Oh, it's close, Sam. It was 19. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good guess. Uh, three against Southampton in the league, one at Brentford, four against Malmo, seven against Norwich, one more against Southampton in the cup and three away at Newcastle. All right. Uh, question two for you, Sam. This is a tricky one as well. Uh, you are current. Well, you're currently tied at one, one, but you can take the advantage with this. According to the stats section of the premier league website in the competition this season, two Chelsea players have a 100% record when converting their number of shots on target, to the number of goals that they've scored. So they've had the same number of shots on target as they do goals. Two players. Can you name them? No, can't. <laughs> okay, fine. We'll move on. In the uh, Premier League? Second. In the Premier League, yep. So every shot that they've had on target has resulted in a goal. Two of them. Oh, one would have to be... Oh, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> That's really hard. Oh, Jorginho? Incorrect. Oh, I've just gone... Oh. I keep thinking I've got it, but then... Still half a point to play for if you can get one of them. Rudiger? Incorrect. Unlucky. The uh, amount of shots not, Rudiger's had. Yeah. <laughs> they're all off target, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. They're, yeah, they're never on target. Uh, oh. Never mind. Chance has gone, I'm afraid. Liam, can Hardest you steal? Question ever. It's got to be players that have. Um, it's got to be players that have had a really low number of shots, uh, and maybe scored once or twice. So. So that was my thought process with Jorginho, but then I just went away from it. Yeah. Kovacic? Incorrect. Oh, um... oh, I've got one. Can I come back? Timo come Werner? Back? Too late now. <laughs> Timo Werner? No, go on, Sam. Who are you going to say? Chalabar. Chalibur is one, two from two for him. And the other one is Angola Conte, one from one oh, yeah. for him. Okay, so it's one, one going into the final round of questions. Uh, these ones are a little more lighthearted. Liam, what colour wine gum did Timo Werner turn his nose up at when offered by a colleague during the game against Norwich? Uh, I did not see this. So this is a blind <laughs> guess. Um, green. Oh, unlucky. Sam, can you steal it? It's got to be yellow or orange. I don't even know if they make them in those colours. Uh, yellow. Oh, if you'd gone orange, uh. you'd have won it. 
Um, you still can win it by getting your final question right to save us from, from a second successive draw. Okay, last question of the quiz. Mason Mount is wise beyond his years in terms of his football brain, but as we now know, he lacks wisdom in his mouth. I want to know, according to the NHS, how many wisdom teeth does the average person have? Oh, goodness Reminder, this is a quiz based on Chelsea. <laughs> opportunity to make me look really silly. <laughs> How on average? Yeah. Four. Is absolutely correct. I thought there was one, to be perfectly honest, but there you go. What a what a shameful way to well, win a quiz about football. Liam, no, would you have got no, that? No shame in losing a Chelsea No. Uh, no, actually I would have guessed four, <laughs> but there's no shame in losing a Chelsea quiz <laughs> to wisdom teeth. <laughs> Uh, we can't improve on that, I'm afraid, so we better get out of here. Uh, remember, if you're not currently a subscriber to The Athletic, you can head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and sign up now. Uh, up on the site, you can read Simon's piece on why Chelsea should reject any offers for Ross Barkley in January. There's also a look at former Chelsea and current England coach Steve Holland, whilst Dom's penned an article on why, even though they've shared the goals around so far, prolific Romelu Lukaku will still be key to Chelsea's season. Uh, Sam, you got the weekend off? No, no, I'm doing the uh, the football league show on Quest on on Saturday. So uh, yeah, just uh, League One and League Two, I believe. Have a little look at Luke McCormick then for Wimbledon. Uh, Liam, have you got plans for for the weekend? International break, so baby dog walking, hopefully sleeping at some point. Um, I don't, I don't watch football during international breaks. I don't normally either, but I'm going to Wembley on Friday night um, to hopefully see Rhys James and Ben Chilwell. I'll tell you all about it on Monday, listener. Many thanks for joining us today. Thanks too to Sam, to Liam and to producer Lucy. We'll catch up with you next week. Bye for now. The Athletic.